Turn with me to another passage. Turn with me to the most memorized passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. Does anybody know what that is? Psalm 23. <laughs> How many of you in this room at some time in your life, you've memorized these six verses of Scripture? Hold your hand up just a minute. I'm just interested. Okay, I appreciate that. It's a great passage. It's well worth um, memorizing. It's one that I use often in my own personal life. And when trouble comes, and I should look at it when trouble hasn't come, because it's for more than trouble. And I want to share with you today from this passage of Scripture, and I hope you will listen, and I hope God speaks to our hearts together, and helps us as in, and encourages us in our faith. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful today to be able to gather with uh, our family in Christ, but Lord, especially with your presence we pray that you will bless this time, and I pray the Spirit of God will use it that your name be glorified, Father. And we do thank you for the message. I pray, Lord, you will help us to understand it and what it means to us as your sheep. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In the Old Testament and all through the Scripture, God is used with many metaphors, just in the book of Psalms, he's called a shield, a rock, the king, the shepherd, the judge, the refuge, the fortress, the vindicator, the creator, the deliverer. He's the healer. He's the protector. He's the provider. And he's the redeemer. So many different pictures painted to help us understand God and his power and his work with us. Today, we want to look at him as a shepherd. Now, sometimes this picture may not seem to be so beautiful. Understand that shepherds were not popular uh, among many people of the day, that, especially in the Middle East as we think of. If you remember the story when Jesus was born that the shepherds heard and they came, as you study that passage and understand, they were witnesses of, what, of Christ's birth. And yet, shepherds were generally not allowed to testify in court. If you remember, as John has been teaching us concerning Jacob's family, they were shepherds. And you remember, as they came, John, uh, Joseph informed them, and he told them, he says, listen, uh, you, you are not allowed to be uh, in, in the mainland. You're going to the land of Goshen, which is beautiful and it's rich, because the 
the Egyptians had nothing to do with shepherds. So as you think about that and you see those things, you realize the Lord in some ways uh, steps down again. But let me tell you something else. We're the sheep, we that know the Lord. Let me tell you something about sheep. Sheep are not the smartest animals out there. Have you noticed if you went off in the woods hunting, fellas, that you've never seen a wild sheep? You're not going to see a wild sheep. You may see one that just got out of a pasture somewhere, and he won't be long if the shepherd don't find him and get him back in. They are just not smart animals. Actually, they're quite stupid. They're frightened at everything. They're wayward. They're wanderers if they do not have someone helping them. They are uh, certainly not running wild. They have no self-defense. They can't take care of their own wool on their backs that can kill them. Uh, they're ignorant. They are needy. They have no claws. They can't run fast to get away. So now when we see this picture that God has painted, and I'm glad he did, because as God sees us and as we know ourselves, the truth of the matter is without God we are hopeless. And that certainly is true. Now, you know, I, I, I doubt that I understood that very well at all before I was saved. But since I've been saved, I've really come to understand uh, if it weren't for the Lord's direction and his people helping me along the way, I would be in a mess even as a believer today. And that is so true. Secondly, sheep are owned. Because they cannot take care of themselves, they have to be taken care of by a shepherd, and someone has to look over them and make sure they're fed and, and to remove their wool at times when they need to and harvest that. And, and they're bought and owned for their own good. So are we. 1 Corinthians 6.20, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that you're bought with a price? And therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, whose are the Lord's. And how true that is. We are owned by the Lord, and certainly we have to trust him to take care of us and direct us in our lives. And I think that is why you see this metaphor used as we're looking at it. Now, if you learn nothing else today, I hope you get this. As we look at this psalm, we... Especially pay attention, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not even sure it's talking about your physical death. Folks, we go through valleys and shadows of death quite often that we probably don't even realize we're going there. Sometimes we do. And it may be applied to someone dying. But listen, this psalm is for life. It's for reminding us who we are and who our shepherd is and how blessed we are to have him and the things that he expects and he does with us in our lives. So I hope you listen to that today as we look at this passage. In verses 1 through 3, I'm just going to divide it into two sections. Verse 1 through 3 talks about the sheep's contentment. And then verses 4 through 6 speak of their security and their safety. The first thing we will look at is verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. The word Lord there is Yahweh. We think of Jehovah. Moses, when he was in the mountain with the Lord and he told him to go and bring and set the, the children of Israel free, that God was going to use him to do so. Before Moses left, he says, wait a minute. Who do I tell them sent me? He says, tell them I am that I am sent you. And as we think of that, 
and we, we call on the Lord and we tell that he is our shepherd. We are not talking about just anyone. We're not just talking about some king. We're talking about he that created the world and flung the stars in space. And when you dig a spade of dirt out, there is no telling how many billion cells and, and different things there are in that little pack of dirt. And he knows every one of those things. Listen, it is he that created the world and sustains the world according to uh, Corinthians chapter 1. That is my shepherd. What a great privilege that is to know him that way. Uh, turn with me back, if you will, to that passage in, in um, John chapter 10. I love this passage of Scripture, and I would very well love to have preached that this morning, but the Lord has uh, laid this on my heart. And I want you to listen. He is the good shepherd, as we think of here in this passage. Verse 11 says, The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. But drop down with me to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Amen. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep, that is us, Gentiles, that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life, and I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. I think in this passage of Scripture, for us New Testament believers, we can see even more in this passage as it talks about the Lord as my shepherd. I think this passage, as we look in John, and certainly is very clearly connected with the use of terms in John chapter 10 as it is in Psalm 23. It tells us that Jesus Christ is God. Very clearly. Listen, only God can give life. Jesus says, I have the authority, the power to lay my life down and to take it again. And by the way, he did so willingly. And as we see this, I, see, I think we see certainly doctrinally, as we would look at it oftentimes, we see the deity of Christ in this passage of Scripture. And what a wonderful truth we find here. Uh, God is my shepherd, and this is so true. And notice what he says, my shepherd... Now, I know many, many lost people in the world. I memorized this passage of Scripture when I was lost, a young kid. But this passage is only to God's sheep, to believers. The truths that are promised in this passage of Scripture are not promised to the lost in the world unless they come to know the Savior, unless they come to know the shepherd as we see in that passage of Scripture. And it talks about several things about the sheep and the shepherd, and we're going to look at some of those as we continue to go through this. But here in this passage, I want you to understand that. And by the way, may I ask you today, rhetorically, do you know the shepherd? Is he your shepherd because you've been saved? Turn with me back to chapter 22, just before this one. I want to tell you something. Through the years, you grow in the Lord, and you learn the Scriptures. And I tell you, it's so unique how you see the Scriptures. You see in these Psalms, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 really all go together. They're very connected psalms. Chapter 22, we find here the great prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ and his dying on Calvary and the things that would go on, and we're going to read some of those verses in just a minute. And listen, the, the, the good shepherd at this time became the Lamb of God, if you will. Remember John the Baptist in chapter 1 of the book of John. There in verse 27, as he was walking one day, he saw Jesus coming and he cried out, probably maybe the first time 
uh, in his life, the prophetic truth came to him. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me um, from the words of my groaning? Look down to verse 6, if you will. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Look over to verse 14. Notice, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a postured, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Oh, I want to tell you something. This passage of scripture was written a thousand years before Jesus ever come in his first coming. A thousand years, a whole millennium. David, a prophet of God, according to the book of Acts chapter 2, there in verse 30, he said, David being a prophet foretold that God would send one that would hold his throne and that forever. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, David prophesied in this passage. I don't know that he understood exactly what he was doing. and certainly don't understand what we do because that time had not come. Listen, 500 years before crucifixion was ever, come up, uh, ever came about by the Phoenicians. But here, a thousand years before, David is prophesying in this psalm about the Lamb of God. And as he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Go to Matthew 26 and 27. Go to John 19 and see these great passages. Fifteen times in the New Testament from this one chapter are, are quotations and utterances uh, from this passage of Scripture. What a great truth it is. Now, here's why I tell you this. Listen to me. Until you believe chapter 22, and until you come to the place of realizing you're a sinner and cannot save yourself, and until you come to the place of realizing what Jesus did at Calvary, and that only, and by the way, the last part of this chapter speaks of his resurrection, and believe he was raised from the dead for your salvation, you can never read Psalm 23 and believe the promises there are for you. Oh, I thank God put these things together. I don't have time to go to chapter 24, but we see him, I think, in his glorious second coming. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. It says, raise the doors high that the king may come in. Oh, how wonderful it is we look at these passages and their connection. The Lord is my shepherd. And then notice what he says here. I shall not want. Lord, help us with this one. This is a truth. This is an absolute truth. And I believe it with all my heart. Listen, I don't believe that I'm going to want for anything that God has for me for my eternal good in any way. By the way, most of the time that I have thought things were lean, I was doing very good compared to most people in the world. We have a problem with this word want. Now, if I had my wants, I'd have a 5.0 Shelby Mustang at my house sitting in the garage. I'm telling you right now. And I'm ashamed to tell you that. I confess this. This is a problem. And I know that ain't God's will for me to have it. I wouldn't have a license 30 days. 
I, I mean, I wouldn't. I would lose them. There's no doubt in my mind. My wife and I, every year or two, we go uh, on our getaway at, at our um, my birthday and and um, our anniversary. We go down to a big car show and and uh, and I love those cars. I love the older cars. I had a '55 Chevrolet. I had a '63 Chevrolet convertible. I had all those cars when I was young. And if I had my way, I'd like to get them all back and have them there and work on them and drive them again. But listen, that ain't God's will. There's a whole lot of things we think we need we do not need. Matter of fact, a lot of the things, as I just described to you, that we think we need would destroy us. God knows that. Listen, uh, if your kid comes in and wants to drive your car, I'm here to tell you, if he does not know what he's doing, he's not old enough, don't give him the key. Love him enough to take care of him. God does that every day with us in all our life if we had everything. Friend, I'm here to tell you there's not a person in this room that can honestly say that God let me down somewhere and he didn't give me what I needed. DNIV says, I lack nothing. That's what it means. It means that you will not come up short in any way. God will meet every need you have for your eternal good and even your life here at this time and what he's doing. I know sickness comes, and it's hard to look at that. And God does not choose for some reason to heal at this time. The Apostle Paul went through that. Listen, the Apostle Paul understood this psalm, but the Apostle Paul had some kind of ailment that God chose not to heal him, but God used him in spite of that and maybe with that sickness in which he had. I can tell you many times I've seen this happen. Uh, in along 1998, my niece had a niece. She was at that time about 30, 31 years old. She was a RN at the hospital in Kenston. Uh, had worked in critical care. She was a top-notch nurse. She was a wonderful girl. But what's more important, she was a devoted Christian. She and her husband both. He was a deacon at the church. And one day along 98, one of her doctors come in that she had got a trust in. She pulled him aside. She said, would you feel my neck right here? And he did, and she said, you'd be in my office right after work. Uh, She had a type of leukemia, the bad kind. And she lasted five years. But I'll never forget as long as I lived. I went to see them immediately, her and her husband. And her husband said to me, Uncle James, said, I want to tell you something. said, I've been saved. I got saved when we were getting married. You married us. And we've trusted the Lord and we've been following the Lord. said, but I'm going to tell you something. I ain't never read so much scripture and been on my knees praying like I have. Now, that was hard to understand. Five years later, those twins were nine years old, and she went to be with the Lord. And you look at it, and you say, how can that be? Oh, listen, God works in that. He works through that. Nobody has any idea how many messages were preached and how many things that were brought up that God used in the lives of those around her. Listen, her husband, a guy that worked with him, told me, he said, during that time when she was suffering, said, you'd go in a, in a room and you'd open a closet door and he'd be in there face down. It's amazing in the hardest times and the times we may wonder where is God, oh, he's there working wide open. And we don't see it and we're not allowed to see those things and thank God we're not. But oh, listen, he does his work. Contentment is one of the hardest things to conquer in the United States of America. 
There are advertisements everywhere. There are all kinds of things pulling at us, whether it is an advertisement or Facebook, somebody's living the life, and somehow your family just is not. You see, listen, don't believe a word of it. I heard a guy say several years ago, Facebook should be called fake book. And I want to tell you the truth. There's probably a lot of truth in that, and you need to look at it that way. Don't get discontent because of what other folks have. Let me tell you something. How could you ever be more content in knowing that Jesus Christ loves me? He went to Calvary, and he paid for my eternal damnation. He paid for every bit of it. He suffered it all for me. He saved me. He has transformed my life. I know him. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. I know who's going to furnish every need I have. What else do we need but the Lord Jesus Christ to be content? Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. The day you learn that, your life will change so much. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having things on one condition. As long as you own them and they don't own you. If they stop you from serving the Lord and dealing with your family and doing the things that you know God would have you to do, then you need to look at them really quick and ask the Lord about them. I'll have no lack, shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. Now you got to learn something about sheep. Sheep will not drink at running waters. They're scared. They're afraid that if they lose their balance and fall over and fall in running water, moving water, and especially if they are loaded with wool. Have you ever been anywhere and seen sheep and seen them at the time when I mean they were loaded? Listen, if they fall in moving water, they ain't got a chance. There's no hope. As soon as that soaks, they're going to the bottom, and they understand that. That's one thing they've gotten. Shepherd comes and he cuts out a little slough where the water will come in and it will be still and he brings his sheep in and there they will drink the water they need. He makes us to lie in green pastures. You know, I, I, I want to spiritualize this. I, I, I know this thing is talking about having rest and, and I understand that. And that's a great thing. We need rest. But I, I, I can't help but think that the rest comes when we get into the Word of God and we graze on God's wonderful Word and we learn these truths and keep ourselves in mind. Let me tell you something. I sat right here this morning and got attacked by the devil and I had to ask the Lord to rebuke him. I, I, you know, it's amazing how much slips into your mind that you wonder, where in the world did that come from? Um, when I get in the Word, it dispels all those things for me. When I'm challenged by people sometimes because of my faith, I can get in the Word and spend some time praying with the Lord and it'll all go away. And I want to tell you something. Every one of God's sheep needs that on a regular basis. We all need that desperately. And what a wonderful thing that we have this rest when the Lord does these things for us. Sheep won't lie down if they're hungry. They've got to be fed. They have to be. They just will not lay down. They'll go keep moving around. And by the way, they are so dumb. If the shepherd's not there, they'll go in the same circle and graze until there ain't nothing left and don't know where else to go. That's what they tell. That's what shepherds say. And he leads them in their grazing, and he prepares them to be able to sit down and to be able to rest and take in the rest of the need. I love the passage of Matthew 1, 11, 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I'll give you rest. That is a wonderful truth. 
I know that's partly about salvation, but I'll tell you, when we get tired and we're worked uh, to the point that we're, we're just frazzled, we need sometimes to get that special rest with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need it on a daily basis. I need the Word every day of my life, and I think about it so often. We need Christian fellowship. I'm telling you, we desperately need it. When I first was saved, I had doubts so bad for the first few. I'm going to tell you the truth, and it is the absolute truth. I worried my mama because she didn't know what had gone on yet. I lost about 10 pounds in over a week after I got saved. I was dead sincere about this thing, and I knew something had happened to me. But I kept thinking, i got to do something. There's something got to be done here. I, I, how am I going to know? And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what the pastor told me, and i tell you this and listen to it. If you start having that problem in your life, go to the book of John and just read it and read it and read it. And when you've read it a while, go to 1 John and read it and read it and read it. And I'm here to tell you God will do something for you like nobody else can tell you the right word. By the way, I can't give you any assurance of salvation. Only God can do that through his word and through his spirit, and that's how you find it. That's how you get yourself back on track when you are, are wondering and you are doubting. And certainly, it's a great thing to know that. He restores my soul. Now, the word soul here is used and understood in so many ways. Let me tell you what it basically means, my life, myself, my person. That's the basic idea in this passage of Scripture. Now, sheep have to be restored a lot. Sheep get themselves cast, cast down, as it's used in the Scriptures. A sheep, even right there with the flock, if he gets to a low place and all of a sudden he thinks, I want to sit down, and he kind of stoops down and all of a sudden he rolls over, and there's an indention place, he rolls over all the way on his back and he's just laying there with his feet kicking the shepherd goes over and turns him over and gets him back up and sends him along his way. But here's the problem. See, if the sheep goes behind a, a, a little group of trees or around a little hillside somewhere or around a big rock over here and the shepherd don't see him and he gets cast, he's in real trouble. Because in the next few minutes, gas begins to build up in his body. And then it starts to get so heavy and he's so bloated that it cuts off uh, the blood from his legs and there he is in real trouble. And listen to me. If there's a pack of dogs, if there are vultures around, he's in real trouble. Have you ever heard of counting sheep? Did anyone ever tell you to go to sleep the way you do it is counting sheep? It comes from this thing here. Shepherds, every evening as they brought their sheep in for the final rest, they would count every last one of them. And that's where the idea is. You get sleepy. He's tired. He's worked all day, and he'll get sleepy counting the sheep. But I want to tell you something. Shepherds had to count their sheep on a regular basis. When they had them out in the field grazing, they had to stop every now and then and figure out a way to count their sheep and make sure none of them were missing. Because if one was missing, if he was missing very long, he was dead. And that shepherd would leave if there was one. He would leave the 99, Jesus said in Luke chapter 15. And he would leave and he would go find that one that had been cast and he would get him up and listen, if he'd been laying there long enough and he can't walk, he'd put him on his shoulder and he would bring him back and massage him until he could get up and go again. Oh, listen, this is a metaphor all through the scriptures. And it's a beautiful picture. How can we be cast down? Psalm 42, let me just read a couple of verses to you. I love Psalm 42. You ought to read it. If you get discouraged sometimes, just read Psalm 42. 
In verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Sometimes that can come from discouragement. We get cast down. Carry a load. Some people go through things you never have an idea what they're trying to deal with. It's amazing. But most of the time, it's because the sheep is rebellious. And he's gotten out of the sight of the shepherd. And he's gone off on his own. And now he's in deep trouble. That happens to Christians a lot. Listen, I've been there. Let me tell you, I know exactly what I'm talking about today. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. I try to excuse it and explain it. And I know, and if someone asks you, how are you doing, brother? God bless you, brother. I'm doing fine. And I'm lying through my teeth. I'm hiding from the shepherd because I'm in trouble. I'll put on the show. I'll do all those things. I'll try to cover it up. But I know in my soul, in my heart, something is not right. And I am cast down. And I need the shepherd to come get me. Ben and I and Ray and John, we are under shepherds. We're not the, we're not the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, First Peter. Chapter 5 tells us there in that great passage of Scripture. And we try. We try to watch. When sheep turn up missing, when something's going on and we know turmoil's going on, we try, we do what we can, but only the good shepherd can get you back up. Now, there's so many things that happen in our lives that cause us to get in this mess sometimes. Sometimes discontentment. Maybe you're discontent with your wife or your husband or your children. You might find yourself in problem. Uh, maybe you're discontent. Somebody didn't speak to you at church. I hope there's nobody here like that. Number one, I hope everybody speaks to you. But I hope you never feel that way. Listen, we love you and we're glad you're here. We want you to come and hear the word of God. Even if you're unsaved, we want you to keep coming and listen to the word. There are so many things that can happen. Lust. Friend, we live in a day that the world is putting it on so you can't miss it. You can't hardly watch a television show. You can't hardly. And listen, if you're not careful, I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how many verses of scripture you have memorized. You can fall into sin and lust. You're cast. You're on your back. You need a good shepherd to come set you up again. Maybe you're covetous. I don't know. I don't know what anyone's going through. But the good shepherd, he comes and he restores that sheep. And he loves that sheep and gets him back on his feet. Fifthly, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is so good. Listen, I want to tell you something. God does lead us in the right path. Sometimes it don't look like it, but I'm here to tell you he does. I love so good this study on Joseph. In, I'm not going to get you to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 42 and verse 36, you remember the first time the, the boys went and got the food and they come back and they ended up with the silver in their, their packs right on, their money was there. And, and Joseph told them, they didn't know it was Joseph. They said, listen now, don't you come back until you bring your younger brother and I'm going to keep Simeon here. They come back and they tell Jacob, he said, don't come back till we bring him. And said, so then he'll turn loose Simeon and they'll all be back. 
And Jacob at that point in his life says, listen, all these things that are going on, they're against me. No, they weren't. Listen, what was going on, God was working to save the nation of Israel in its start and its very beginning from starving to death. God was going to restore his family and bring them all back together. But in his mind at that time, he was so beat down, he didn't know what was going on. He said, all these things are against me. A lot of things that go on, we think they're just totally against me. God leads me in the paths that are right and righteous. He does that. Now, I may not want to follow, and I may be kicking against it, and I might be battling with it. By the way, I love, though, what he did. I'm going to turn there and read. You don't have to turn there. But in chapter 48 in the book of Genesis, let me, let me give you the words he shared as he's about to bless his sons. He says, The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. <laughs> I think Jacob grew during that time. I think Jacob's understanding had increased. This is the first time as far as I know that God is pictured as a shepherd. And all oh, listen, what a beautiful picture. Jacob now understands as he looks back and saw all this stuff, he got Joseph back. He was blessed and his family was blessed, and the promises that God had made that were going to come through his family are now going to take place because none of them are dead. All 12 sons are alive. Sometimes when things are not doing good, and listen, I've been there. I've been there a little bit recently. I just wonder what's going on. What's happening? I don't know. God does. That's all I need to know. I learned that years ago. I went through a time, and I'll tell you, I taught myself. Whew, I don't understand this, but God does. And I come to be satisfied with the fact that God does and he can take care of it, and he did. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I remember years ago, I was in Tennessee the second time. And when I was in Tennessee, I was off one day. And I was working in the yard and about to work on my car, and I had turned on R.O.C. Sproul. I love R.C. Sproul. He was a great guy. And he would teach on things. I didn't like him because he never used a note. I got notes everywhere. I started to bring this table up here by me. When you get old, you get tables around you everywhere. Have you noticed that? You go to an old person's house? I, I, you go to my house, you'll see it. Got tables everywhere. It's just part of being known. But I was listening to him, and he dared say this. He said, I've met Christians who said, who does God think he is to say that he deserves all the glory? And he said, the first thing I do with a person like that, whether they claim to be saved or not, is tell them, do you know everything? And they say, no. Have you created everything? No. No. Uh, if you're a Christian, did you save yourself or did God save you? Could you have saved yourself? Could you have made a payment and missed eternal damnation forever? And he says, after I get done, he, he says, I said, who did? He said, God. He says, as far as I can tell, he's the only one deserves glory. And a name that is worthy of protecting a name that every Christian ought to say, God, help me to walk in such a way that I don't dishonor your name. Here in this psalm, he leads 
me in the paths of righteousness. Now, by the way, he does do it for my good. He saved me for my own good. I do not deserve it in any way. And, and he wants me to walk in righteous ways to prepare me for heaven. And he's going to finish the work when he comes for me. He's done all those things to me, but ultimately it is for his name's sake, and his name is worthy to be praised by every man, woman, and child. Then, as we continue to look at this, we look at the security. And I'm going to be quick with this. I know I've probably preached a long time. I can't help it this morning. Here in this passage, it starts verse 4. And listen, I never saw this until recently. Never. This psalm changes between verse 3 and 4. Let me show you one thing. There are some commentators who even say, I, I think he's left the metaphor of the shepherds. I don't think so because he mentions the rod and the staff. I think he's still there. But if you will notice in verse 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, third person, makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And he goes on and on. And then listen to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God. He's been talking about the Lord for the first three verses, and now he starts talking to the Lord. Hey, I want to tell you something. If you're going to talk much about him, you need to talk to him. Don't you? I mean, listen, if you want to know anything, I don't care how hard you study, you better hope the Lord appears when you start teaching and, and trying to help somebody else. You better hope he's there. I do. I've been praying all week. I've probably studied more this week than I've studied on any message I've ever preached. I've just absolutely enjoyed it. It has helped me so much. And, and I look at this passage and I think about it. And by the way, I got that from someone. I got that from um, John Piper. I'm glad I thought of his name. He deserves it. I have never noticed that. I have studied, I have preached this psalm in four messages, and I never saw that. It is an amazing thing here. He turns from that, and he starts talking about security, and he starts talking about trouble. When you're in trouble, you need to talk to the Lord. You need to start looking at the Lord and talking about him and how great he is and what good he has done for you, and it is that that will remind you he is your shepherd and he will take care of you. What a great truth this is. God is with me in every trial. Now, the reason they're going through the valley of the shadow of death is because they're changing pastures. The pasture gets eaten down, and they have to go find a new pasture, take all the sheep, carry them, and sometimes they have to go by a stream and go through a valley, a dangerous valley, to take them to the new pasture. And the shepherd has to be aware, and the sheep are scared. It starts getting dark with those shadows in between those mountains or hills in this valley, wherever it is, and they know that there might be wild dogs. There might be some other wild animal just waiting and looking for them. And as they go down through this valley, the shepherd will try to keep the sheep as close, especially in the worst place, sometimes going through or crossing a stream to get there. And sometimes he will even lay his rod and his staff on them for a minute to calm them down as they're coming by and let them know that the shepherd's here and you're going to be all right. They're used to that. That's how they've been trained. And listen, that is so true for us. I don't know what the problem is. We went fishing a few years ago. 
Uh, it's been several years ago now. And I was bad about drinking nothing but soft drinks and coffee. I loved that stuff. And uh, had been fishing, been out on the boat on Saturday, and got up, was going to go again, and um, went, to the, went to the restaurant. This is the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. I did not know, but I was totally dehydrated. I mean, so close. I knew I didn't feel good. I went in there and got ready for my breakfast, and the girl said, uh, do you want water? I said, no, ma'am, water, rust your pipes, give me coffee. That's exactly what I told that girl. We got out, and I was feeling a little worse. And we went down to the bait shop, and I was going to go in by the bait. I got in the door, and I turned around, and I came out the best I could, and I got in the truck. And I said, go back to the beach house. She says, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, but something bad wrong. And she took off, and we got just about over halfway there. And I reached over and touched her and said, I'll see you on the other side. And I went right out just like that. I barely remember one time seeing lines of trees. I could see just a little bit. I didn't know anything going on until they got me in the uh, ambulance and they were ripping my clothes off and they were trying to dry me. They couldn't dry me to get the stickers on for the EKG. Couldn't get the needles in my arms for hydration. Didn't know. They thought I was having a heart attack. Thought I was gone. And I'll tell you something. Um, Thank God. It's the first time I'd ever done that since I've been saved. And I was not scared of it. I thank the Lord for it. But I wanted my wife to know I loved her. And, uh, and I didn't worry the whole time. But it was amazing hearing this nurse saying, listen, we've got to get his heart rate up. He says, he ain't going to make it. We've got to stop. And you know, you're hearing all this thing, and I think, I'm, I'm going to be all right. By the way, I actually prayed, Lord, if I'm going to be messed up and left like this on my please take me now. I did. I prayed that. I couldn't have prayed that 45 years ago. I'd been scared to death. They'd have probably been trying to find nerve pills for me in that ambulance. <laughs> Listen, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, David says, you're with me all the way. And all he had been through some valleys. Had he ever been through some hard times in his life? It's an amazing thing as you look at the life of David and how he trusted God and God brought him through every one of those things. I will fear not. Your rod and your staff will protect me. But you know what? A rod and a staff ain't any good unless the shepherd's got them. He's been trained with them. He knows how to use them. He knows how to use them on those sheep and to make them feel comfortable. And listen, here's what he is saying. Lord, you are with me, and I can go through this thing. By the way, he speaks of going through. He don't speak necessarily of dying. Some people say it is. And there is light. There can't be shadows without light, even in the darkest tunnel even in the darkest place. And here in this passage, he says, you're with me. And then he goes on and he even says this, and I'm not sure I understand this. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. What a beautiful picture that. It's a picture of provision. I've I've tried wondering, I've listened and thought about this a long time. What, What could this be? And he's not talking about here in this passage about heaven. He's talking about now, even in your times of troubles. But then I go back and I think about in the book of Exodus, at the Passover, God told Moses, you tell all the children of Israel, firstborn in every family is going to die. If you'll go, and he told them the way to do it, and slay a lamb and take the blood, and paint it over the doorpost and make this meal, nothing will happen in your home. 
Man, I want to tell you something. You're talking about preparing a table in the midst of evil and calamity about to happen to a nation. God's able to take care of us even in the midst of the problems. You know, we worry a lot about people over us in our government, and I do. I get aggravated with it, and then I have to rebuke myself. Listen, God's in charge. I don't know what all these folks can do. I don't know what that guy in Russia is going to do, but I know God loves me. He's died for me. He's given me his best, and he said, by Jesus Christ, he will give me everything that pertains to life. He's going to take care of me. He can do that. He is well able to do that. And he can even prepare a table for me. And he anoints my head with oil. We don't understand this. I know there's a lot of things that sheep were anointed for, for uh, all kind of creatures that bothered them in their face, and that's probably true, and it may even be that illusion. But this is more, I think he's talking about what you see in the New Testament when you see that someone comes in and pours oil. You remember the woman that poured the ointment on the Lord Jesus Christ, on his head and on his feet. It was an honor. It, it was a showing of great blessing. Judas argued. He said, listen, this money has been wasted. could have been given to the poor. No, it could have gone in Judas' pocket. That's all he was concerned about. Jesus said, you always have the poor with you. He deserved honoring. Listen, and God blesses us, and he honors us, and he will take care of us, and he will give us not all we need, but he gives us even more. My cup runneth over, says David. What a beautiful thing. And then the last thing, he said, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I do think this is talking about eternity. The ultimate end, after all the testing's over, is heaven. I don't know what it's like. I can tell you some things it's like. Number one, Jesus is there. He's right in the center. I won't have a sinful body anymore. I want to tell you, that's the best day that's ever going to hit me since I've been saved. The day that I'll never sin against the Lord Jesus Christ again. What a day that's going to be. And it's going to go on forever and ever. And all those things from the past, according to the book of Revelation, are going to be wiped away, those tears and all those sorrows. They're going to be gone. And I'm going to enjoy the Lord for all eternity. And you, if you are saved, what a blessing. I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't think we can talk about what happened here. I would love to sometime, but I don't think we want to because it'll be sinful probably. But I'm here to tell you, it's going to be a magnificent day. Here's the question. Is the Lord your shepherd? I heard something the other day. I don't know where it was at. I was traveling, and I listened to a message, and I'm, I'm done. And um, a guy was preaching I don't know if it was Erwin Lutzer. I don't, I don't know if it was Dr. MacArthur. I don't know who it was. But he said, we have a sad situation today in our, especially in our nation, I think it's always been true, in churches. People love that story about the birth of Christ. It is so warm and warming to our hearts as we think of him coming as this little baby. And even though he was laid in a manger and it was tight, we think about the angel singing and the beauty of it. And it is. It's beautiful. It ought to stir our hearts. And he says, listen, some of the professing Christians will even say, listen, I get tears in my eyes as I think about Jesus Christ hanging on Calvary. As I think about his suffering and all that he went through, and he did it for me. Lord, I thank you so much for doing those things. But one thing, Lord, don't, don't try to run my life. Don't tell me how to live. Don't expect me to go out and be one of those 
but try to look in the scriptures to find out how did it live, how did it have their family, and all those things. Listen, if that don't concern you, you don't know him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Don't claim to be a Christian. If it's not an everyday event in your life, and it comes up in almost everything that you think of, what the Lord would do, and what he would have me to do, I wouldn't even talk about being a Christian. Matter of fact, I'd be asking God to help me understand and save me. May God bless us as we depart here today.